Today on Let Me Be Frank, His Excellency is joined by a special guest. Monsignor Guy Massey was the chair and vicar for the Ecumenical and Interfaith Commission for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn. He's here today to speak with Bishop Caggiano about God's covenant throughout the Bible and about Catholic-Jewish relations. Monsignor Massey speaks with authority on these subjects as he's the only Catholic priest to have ever received a degree from the Jewish Theological Seminary of America. He got a master's degree from there. So it's going to be a good one today. Keep it right here on your radio at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM or using the Veritas mobile app on your phone. If you don't yet have the app and you're looking for the app, it is easy to get. Just go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. And while you're there online, be sure to check out foundationsinfaith.org. They are our sponsors for Let Me Be Frank. And here, during Advent, we're holding a light up to the St. Francis Xavier Fund for Missionary Parishes. This fund strives to alleviate the financial burdens of urban churches that exhibit strong leadership and outstanding missionary outreach. This partnership empowers pastors to focus on ministries instead of issues with their facilities. So to support this essential work, please visit foundationsinfaith.org to donate. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, and from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how was your Christmas, my friend? Excellency, it was uh, different. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Oh, my gosh. Talk about an unexpected turn to life, huh? But, you know, but but, but still, we got it through. We got through it. At least the weather was warm. It was more spring than it was winter, right? Yes. Yep. Good. Good to be with you. it's Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're joined today by an old friend of yours, mm-hmm. who I'm very excited to hear this conversation. Uh, it's Monsignor Guy Massey. And Monsignor Massey is a native Brooklynite who grew up in Williamsburg, Greenpoint. Monsignor Massey is the pastor of Brooklyn's oldest Italian parish, Sacred Hearts and St. Stephen. And for 34 years, Monsignor Massey served as the chair and vicar for the Ecumenical and Interfaith Commission for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn, and he still continues to work today extensively with Jewish mm-hmm. relations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, Monsignor Massey received a master's degree in Judaic studies from the Jewish Theological Seminary of America, and this is the country's chief educational center for conservative rabbis, cantors, and scholars. And Monsignor was the first Catholic priest ever to receive a degree from this institution. So that's true. <laughs> thank you for joining us today, Monsignor. I must say, oh, I'm glad to be here. It's glad to see uh, Bishop Frank. Yeah, I mean, we have we have been friends forever. forever. That's quite true. Even when you know Frank was a child. Yes, even when Guy was young and happy. But I mean, things change. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I uh, I am delighted, Monsignor, that you're part of this show. Really, and 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 you know, I value our friendship very much, even though we don't see much of each other because of your duties, my my duties up in Connecticut. But it's great to see you, even if it's virtual. And I, my first question to you is this: I know you very well. Our listeners do not, and I think people find the personal journeys of faith to be very interesting. So tell us about yourself. How did you get to be the pastor of Sacred Heart St. Stephen's, um, Catholic priest, studied Judaic studies? Give us a little bit about your history. Okay, I got to be the pastor of Sacred Heart St. Stephen's because Bishop Caggiano asked me to consider saying yes to this invitation. (laughs) Correct answer. Good. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say that there was a certain hesitation on my behalf. And he says, enough of this. When they call, just say yes. And I am forever thankful to Bishop Caggiano for considering me for this parish, which, of course, I have fallen in love with um, very much. And I, I love being here. And, of course, I love these people. And we are the noisiest parish, I think, in Brooklyn but there's a lot of activity here. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I was a member and 
parishioner of an Italian parish called St. Francis of Paola. And I have to say that um, I did not go to Catholic school. I, I had to go to religious education because we lived at a, a, bit, a bit of a distance. My brother did go to Catholic school and I got on the wrong bus. <laughs> oh, I got on the wrong bus and I wound up at St. Francis of Paola and I was sitting there and the priest, I said to the sister, I think I'm in the wrong place. And she said, just sit down. I said, okay, I sat down. And this priest, whose name was Father Vincent Termine, was teaching us and he was looking for altar service. And I said, gee, I would like to do that. So he said, okay, when he dismissed everyone, okay, anyone who's interested, just come on this side of the, of, of the, the church and we'll talk. Well, I always refer to that movement of this uh, eight-year-old from one side of the church to the other as the beginning of my journey, I think, to priesthood and where I am today. And then I was served mass, and then I liked what I was seeing. I had very good priests. Um, and I would say my desire to be a priest probably started when I was in high school. I would see maybe the eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. And then I decided that since I was an altar server, I went to the priest in charge of the altar boys. And I said, you know, you don't need to assign anyone for the seven o'clock mass. I'll do it because then I'll go to school. And so I continued to go to mass from eighth, from the seventh grade all the way through. And here I am today. Uh, and I would say that the more I experienced the, the, the church, the priest, and the more I got into knowing more and more about the theology of who we are and, uh, and began to see Jesus much more as a personal person in my life, as someone dynamically present, as I believe uh, the Spirit has always been present in my life, even when I wasn't too aware of that, um, it brought me to... Um, to the seminary. And I remember visiting the seminary of the Immaculate Conception when I was discerning. And Frank was very interesting. I walked in there on a night in March and I had gotten lost getting there. And finally I got there, I opened the door and there was a seminarian who wasn't there, who was supposed to meet me. So I sat on the steps going up to the, up to the chapel. And I said, sooner or later, someone will find me, but I will tell you, the moment I walked in there, I said, this is it. Regardless of what happens this weekend, this is it. And I would have to say, um, here I am. Uh, yeah. And uh, I would well, say, yes. Marcy, allow me to interrupt. Um, what about your background as a teacher? Phil, yep. Phil your I was a, I was a teacher, yes. I was a history teacher. I loved history and still do. And I have a, you know, my master's degree is in English history. And that was my big conflict. Should I go into teaching or should I go to the seminary after college? And I thought that it would be a good experience if I did go to, uh, to teach. And I told the director of vocations, whose uh, name was, uh, I think, Dolan. And I said, you know, Father, I would come, but I think I want to teach because, number one, I need money. I was in school. <laughs> and number two, I think I need more of an experience because I was only in an academic background and I needed a social life that would help me to discern what I wanted to do with my life. And history was very important to me. It was the thing I had majored in three times because I never actually had to study because it just stayed with me. I am a, a stickler for footnotes and for, um, for all of these things. I like doing research. Um, and so I would have to say this does make sense because probably my greatest interest uh, and greatest subject in the seminary was scripture, which fits in so well with, mm -hmm. with history, with mm -hmm. the idea of things that are ancient. One of the things I suppose one has to say is am I interested in the history or in antiquities? Because I tend to believe that if something is ancient, it's been around a long time. So clearly I did very well in the studies of the Hebrew text and, uh, uh, and of the Old Testament because it was ancient. I mean, uh, what Jewish year are we in? We're in the year 5,781. I have my Jewish calendar here. So I said, that's a long time to be around. And that means that there's something to that. And mm -hmm, here I am. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, I have spoken about you in other oh, podcasts. Yes. Yeah, so you already have an entree. 
I said, you are one of the most unique priests in the United States for the very reason that Steve, and Steve mentioned of your training at JTS and your, your, your great love of Judaism and your work in ecumenical affairs with Judaism. So now I want you to tell our, our, our audience, how did, how did you get introduced? You, you began to explain it now to Judaism, because obviously it's a great love of yours. And tell us about um, your journey as a Catholic and then a Catholic priest and your love for Judaism and how all that fits together in your mind. Okay. Sure. One of the things, the introduction. Well, you know, I in Brooklyn and in my teaching experience, many of my my friends are Jewish. Some were observant, some were not. And I thought that it was very interesting observing a Shabbat in someone's home and the prayer that went with it for those who were observant. I also, on coming to the seminary, I met a priest by the name of Monsignor Michael Cantley. Monsignor Campoli was um, my, uh, he, he was the priest who lived on my alley. He also taught me uh, in school there and knew that I was interested in these things. And he was a man involved in Jewish Catholic relations. One evening, he said to me, would you like to come with me to the New York Board of Rabbis? I am giving a paper there, which will then be, dis- uh, and then there will be another paper given and then a discussion. Would you like to accompany me to this? And I said, oh yeah, sure. Well, I thought this was like the greatest thing. And I'll tell you why. Because there was discussion. Monsignor Cantley made a presentation of a paper and then another person did. And then there was a discussion and there were lots of questions. And one of the things that I find very interesting in Jewish academic circles is the ability to ask questions. Nothing is sacrosanct that is not questionable. And therefore, there are many different ways to look at something. Uh, And I like that. But I also realize that sooner or later, one must make a decision on something and one must take a, a, um, with all the variants that are out there, one must make some some decision. Nonetheless, it's also good to know that even if you make a decision, you know that there are many ways to look at what you're doing. Uh, This was a very interesting experience. Then there were other meetings that I just got permission to go to at the New York Board of Rabbis from the seminary. And this added a great deal to my knowledge uh, and my ability to discuss and above all, my ability to dialogue. I think what I learned in dialogue was to listen to people, to hear what is important to them, not necessarily to respond, to listen to what was important to them and vice versa. And then you begin to see people as people, not as religious objects. And then it was a building of relationships. When, uh, after I was ordained, I was assigned to a parish called St. Brendan's. St. Brendan's, as you know, Frank, is in Mm -hmm. the uh, Midwood section of Brooklyn. The Midwood section of Brooklyn, when I arrived in 1983, I was ordained in 1983, was very stable. It was Catholic and it was Jewish, and it was mostly conservative Jews, reformed Jews. In my time there, it became much more orthodox, that is black hat. And there was some tension in the neighborhood. And I thought, well, you know, what I need to do here is try to create a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And what I had done was I had paraded myself down the street to what we call a shtibel, which is a little house synagogue. And I knocked on the door. And needless to say, this little kid answers. And I said, may I see the rabbi? He goes up there and he gets the rabbi. And of course, they were stunned by the fact that the priest was there. One must realize that in some cases, the history between these two people was not always great. And I said who I was and how, you know, how I would like to have a discussion with him and also to assist in trying to help people understand both conservative Jews and the Roman Catholics exactly what you are about, why you dress the way you do, and why are you having what was called then the Shabbos Day Walks. And he thought this was a great idea. And thus began this conversation between St. Brendan's and the Hasidic community and the Orthodox community there. 
I continued doing this and then worked with another priest by the name of Martin Garrity. Martin Garrity, as you remember, was the head mm-hmm. of Catholic Jewish relations, mm-hmm. and I succeeded him on the invitation of Bishop Daly. That became even more fun because the Diocese of Brooklyn was a member of the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops and the Committee for Catholic Jewish Relations. And so I succeeded in, in taking that position and now meeting with the bishops of the United States and across the United States, United Synagogues of America, which was made up of conservative Jews, Reformed Jews, Reconstruction, and even secular Jews. This is, was great. What is Reconstruction Judaism? Reconstruction Judaism follows... Um, it is seeing Judaism from the perspective of in, and emphasizing the community and social work more than, let's say, ritual. And ah. it's Mordecai, Mordecai Kaplan who was started that movement, okay? Uh, it was a movement that came out of the conservative movement. As you know, it was orthodox. There was no such thing. There was just orthodox Jews, you know. There were Jews, and there were no orthodox Jews, but... In the 1800s in Germany, there was a movement to reform them because they, when they came out of the ghettos in the 1800s and the 1870s, well, you couldn't dress in the secular world the way you would do in the shtetl. The shtetl is where Jews would live as one group of people. And so there was a movement called the, uh, the reform movement. The reform movement reformed a little bit too much, and they even discarded the kasherut, which is the kosher laws. Then came a movement with Solomon Schechter, which brought a number of them back to uh, a marriage between orthodoxy. It would go either, it was sometimes called conservaform or conservadox. When I was there, it leaned on the the right. It it it, it was leaning to orthodoxy. So if you went into the synagogue, as I've done sometimes, you would see some men in the big talit, which is the big short prayer, prayer shawl, and other people not in that. So <clears throat> what happened was this group of the bishops met with the, the conservatives or the non-Orthodox group. Well, you get to meet these people. I've been going to these meetings for over 30 years. And what happens at these meetings, it's not only talking about what we have in common, what we have in difference, whether it's religious, whether it's a social thing that we can do. Right now in the movement in the United States, the point on racism and, 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 and black issues uh, dominate some of that discussion. What can we do together in this area? Now, I know these people at this, this, this event, these men and women I know for over 30 years if not more. Then in the diocese of, then with Bishop Schaffenberger, Bishop Schaffenberger, he is now head of the United States Catholic Conference of Jews, uh, Catholic Conference of Bishops, and he has an Orthodox Catholic dialogue. Now this Orthodox Catholic dialogue was headed by uh, Rabbi Fabian. He has since stepped down and it's been completely reconstructed. And in this event, here you're dealing with much more of a theological discussion, which is so interesting, so very interesting to sit with Orthodox rabbis and priests and bishop and a bishop and discuss issues. And you will find, Bishop, that one of the easiest dialogues to have is the dialogue with Orthodoxy. And the reason why is because all of the many of the uh, categories are so much the same. The need to believe in God, the need to do what God has asked, whether it be through the gospel for, for us or whether it be through uh, Talmud for, for the Jews, the need to do the mitzvot, the need to pray, to need the need to, to do all of these things and how that affects one's, one's soul. And also, and, and also, Monsignor, I was going to su- suggest also the covenant. Yes, now this covenant issue. Mm-hmm. Covenant is the issue that is now on the table. What do we mean by this? And it was very interesting sitting down with this Rabbi Greenberg. He said, you know, when I was an Orthodox kid, I was afraid of the Catholic Church. I didn't know what they were, who they were, but it's through these dialogues that the fear has abated. 
And this idea that you, that's me, that, that's us, that we see ourselves as a covenant people. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is, is a relationship, a deep relationship that the Jewish people, of course, had. And that's what God makes with, Mo, with Abraham and with Moses and with Noah in the very beginning uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in Genesis. Well, God has also made a covenant with us. And for those listeners, when you go to Mass on Sunday, you have to hear this is the blood of the new covenant, the relationship that we have with God. And baptism for us brings us into that covenant. Redemption that Jesus wrought now becomes part of me. It's appropriated to me. I could say that Jesus died for me, that Jesus rose for me. It right. becomes of the body, then I become the part of the body of right. Christ. Now, let's right. go to the covenant. No, uh, hold on a second, Monsignor. We're going to take a break, I think, because we, we need to take a break. But So you are going to continue when we come on the other side. And one of the things I want you to talk about, which most people may not fully understand, is this question of the covenant that God made with his chosen people. And there are some who do not understand that that is forever binding, right? Yeah. And how does that relate to the covenant that we receive in Jesus Christ as believers? So we'll talk about a little bit of that too. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Monsignor Guy Massey is here today to talk about Catholic-Jewish relations and God's covenant throughout the Bible. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back, everybody, to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Monsignor Guy Massey, who is the pastor of Sacred Hearts and St. Stephen Church in Brooklyn and also an expert on really on the Jewish faith. And uh, Monsignor, you were talking about um, God's covenant with... But before we do that, Steve, before we do that, I just want all our listeners to understand, I know Monsignor Massey forever, okay? This is one of the rare times he actually allowed me to interrupt him. So I just want to make sure that we made history today. (laughs) We made history. Now, Monsignor, back to the covenant. (laughs) Um... We were talking about covenant and covenant, as I had said, is this relationship for us, this covenant, you know, we come into baptism. If I were Jewish, I would get into the covenant by circumcision or by having a naming if I were female. And this covenant brings, makes me part of the people, makes me either part of the Jewish people. And just as baptism makes me part of the uh, Catholic people. Now, this covenant, of course, is clear in, uh, in, in Exodus when God speaks to Moses and to do these commandments or these mitzvot. And then we now move, how do we have a covenant and the Jews have a covenant? And how does this work? So does God make two covenants? 
the, is the old covenant, is the covenant with the Jewish people abrogated because of Jesus? Well, let's talk about that. Certainly, this is a very big discussion, but let's think for a moment. Just let's think for a moment. In the, in the teachings of Vatican II and also in Romans, God does not repent from the gifts that he gives. So the covenant that the Jewish people have, as far as we are concerned, that relationship still continues with God. That relationship of spirituality and growth in the spirit still is there. Then how does that affect us? Well, think about this for a moment. The covenant is made in the word of God. God gives God's word. And you know, every time I hear God's word, you know who comes to mind. The word of God for us is Jesus. So now, this covenant is made with God, with Moses, and all of these people. But eventually, that word, that word, becomes incarnate for us in the person of Jesus. Our covenant is in the, is in the meeting between God and humanity. All covenants bring humanity and God together. The covenants of the Jewish people naturally progress to this idea of God coming, God and humanity coming together. And in what and in what person does this most perfectly happen? In the person of Jesus. God and humanity meet most perfectly. So our covenant is in this incarnation. Our covenant, this marriage between God and humanity is in this incarnation so that the God who spoke to, let's go back to Moses, okay? On Mount Sinai, which is a place I, in my imagination, I go to pray. Mount Sinai, God speak, there is what? God is there, there is the mist, there is a cloud, and there is fire, and God speaks. Well, that word eventually becomes incarnate, visible, illustrating what God is all about in and through the person of Jesus. So is there one covenant? Yes, it's in the word of God. It's in the word of God. For the Jews, it's in the, in the written text. And the spirit of that written text, us, it's in the, it is in the uh, incarnation. It's in the incarnation. So we are a covenanted, covenanted people. Uh, this is a very important issue. That is why I think the sacrament of baptism is so important. It's the most important sacrament. Uh, not the greatest of sacraments, but the most important sacrament. Um, and so as a result, I think that's what a covenant relationship does. Now, a covenant relationship is not a fifth. It, we speak of marriage as a covenant, don't we? A couple comes together, enters into a covenant before with God in their marriage. And what do we say? We say it's not a matter of you do 50% or you do 50%. No, it's all. It's all. In the incarnation and in the uh, stories of Moses, God gives God's self completely. And don't we get that in the prophets? Isn't that what Hosea is speaking about? You know, isn't that what Isaiah has been reminding us all through Advent uh, of uh, I am God and there is no other? Um, and that in this idea and this belief that we have in the incarnation, God gives of God's self completely. And that is why one of the most interesting things I find in the story is when Mary says, but how can this be? But how can this be? That is a great question, because I think it is so mind boggling that God would do such things for us his creation. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe that this God becomes incarnate. And then if that's not enough, because of his faithfulness, dies for us. So, and, and becomes food for us. And becomes food for us. And the idea of the manna, you know, that you have in the desert, the sustenance of that, that covenant. Well, for us, it's Eucharist. Uh, that is why the Eucharist, for I think for Catholics, with all due respect, is non-negotiable. It 
How can you be Catholic and not have Eucharist? Because that Eucharist sustains that covenantal relationship right. that we right. have with the Lord. Right. If I may, the image that comes to mind is, was it Jeremiah who was given the, the scroll to eat? Yes. Right. So, and it was the written text. The written text. But now, we're, and we're receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the incarnate word. Yeah, great, right. correct. Right. And the risen right. Lord, that's so important that we are right. receiving the word of God here in the resurrection. Right. The, the resurre right. So, so Martini, I have another question to ask you. We'll go in a, a different direction. You had mentioned that Judaism is really a family of different, I'm going to say, communities, movements. Similar right. to Christianity, right? In a sense yeah. that we have, okay. So now, in our church, there's a magisterium. So you have a question, you have a discussion, but sooner or later, the magisterium says, this is what we need to do. This is what we believe definitively. But Judaism doesn't have a magisterium in that sense, right? That covers all of these groups. It's it's more rabbi-based. Is, is that a fair way of putting it? Let's what, talk about that. Yeah, Let's please. talk about that. Well, you know, let's go back to the very uh, foundations of Christianity. When, do, when does Christianity happen? It happens, and why does it happen? It really erupts in a disagreement over one the identity of one particular person, and that's Jesus. But when does it happen? It happens during Temple Judaism. When the temple existed in Jerusalem, remember the destruction of the temple in the first um, in the in, in the exilic period, then Nehemiah and Ezra, Haggai, and those prophets rebuild the temple and reestablish the priesthood. Well, the temple was the focal point of the Jews, and it was that was their magisterium. Okay, this was how to be Jewish. When there were decisions that had to be made. The temple and the high priest would make those decisions. And so that was the Sanhedrin. Now, what happens here? You have, of course, many different, there was always different forms of Judaism. There were the Amarats, those are the people of the land. There were the Hasins, those are the more monastic. There were the Pharisees who saved the, uh, you know, the people during the Maccabean period. There were the Sadducees. There were the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection, so much like uh, Jesus. Well, all of these groups worshipped in different places, in different situations. You get in the Acts of the Apostles, and they came from the synagogue of the free Greeks. Well, all right. There were different synagogues, different interpretations, but the temple was the place where they offered their sacrifice. It was a, it would kept them in somewhat together in believing. With the destruction of the temple, in so around 70, 68, 78 uh, AD. Well, now what were they to do? What were they to do? Well, comes now the birth of rabbinical Judaism. And what does rabbinical Judaism produce? It produces the Talmud. The Talmud is not sacred text. The Talmud is an interpretation of the way Jewish life was before the destruction of the temple. So there's a, and there are books on this. Uh, for instance, how to plant, okay? When to plant seeds and all this other kind of stuff because they're an agrarian people. But the Talmud was trying to answer the question, how, how, I, how can I be Jewish without a temple? How can I be Jewish without a, a magisterium telling us how to do this? Now, this began, the, this now gives birth to rabbinical Judaism which is contemporaneous with the development of early Christianity. The rabbinical Judaism is the Judaism you have today. And that also takes on a different perspective. In the Hasidic community, the rabbi is, is the focal point of the community. In the, author, in the other communities, that's not necessarily true. You know, you would have a study place and things like this. The rabbi could weigh in on a direction, but ne not necessarily be the decision maker in that local community. The local community of Hasidics would go to the Rebbe for a, for a, a, a shila or a question. The more conservative or the more reforms may ask the question, but not necessarily see the rabbi's answer as the final answer. So as a result, you have a... a, 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 a 
a, a plethora of interpretations of things. Right, you know? right, exactly. But 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 Monsignor, it's interesting. So based on what you just shared with us, which is fascinating. So the the fact that the priesthood um, in our church and its connection with the sacrifice of Christ, which is represented in grace in an right. unbloody way at mass. Right. And the fact that they are the, the that the priesthood, particularly the high priesthood or the or the magisterium, has deep echoes within Judaism. You know, it's interesting. I was saying mass, I think it was a holiday. It could have been Christmas, it could have been Easter, it's one of these. And so a friend of mine with whom I work in the neighborhood, uh, Rabbi Seth Wax, he came. And, you know, he observed, it's very interesting, if you want to know what people, see how they worship. See how they, don't forget the theological books at first, see how they worship. And you know what he said to me? He says, I'm so indebted to the Catholic Church for preserving the cultic worship of the temple. And the idea of the idea of sacrifice, the idea of the incense, the idea of the, the way in which you have your liturgy, which is so based, you know, your first part on the liturgy of the word and then this liturgy of uh, what you call the Eucharist is has its roots in this ancient Judaism. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that I said to him, well, that's where we kind of broke off, isn't it? You know, at that point. Right. Which particular is, point. Which um, is fascinating. And when you look at the prayer, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 please. You know, the prayers that we say, yeah, the, like the, the Psalms that we say is so interesting. I, I, I love the Psalms because I see them as the man Jesus praying, you know, right. that we use these texts. Right. I am right. friendly with one, uh, well, with a number of Jewish people. So I might go for a Shabbat. And on one Shabbat, I was visiting a friend in, um, Philadelphia. You know, these are my classmates from JTS. And this man with whom I am friendly with, eventually I know his children. They got married. I do all this. But while before he got married, I was at the house and he had a younger brother, a very young brother, you know, who was still in grammar school. And he said this little, this kid said to me, um, he had met me a number of times. And he said, I have a question to ask you. And of course, his mother and father nearly died. I says, no, no. I says, I'm the only one. He, I, he says, to him, I'm, I, am, I am exotic. So he has to ask this question. He's not so the only he, one. He's not the only one. Keep going. Okay. So he said to me, Guy, when you come, when you, Guy, are you coming to the synagogue? I said, yes, I am. <clears throat> this is an eighth grader. He says to me, when you go to the synagogue with us, as you have, I want to know something. Are you watching us pray? Or do you pray with us? I said, oh, my goodness, Matthew, that is such a good question. So I said, let me answer this for you. The answer to your question is I pray with you, but I pray differently. And let me explain that. <clears throat> I said, when I'm in the synagogue and you open the, the ark and the scrolls are there, you believe that that is the imminent presence of God with you in the community. And I agree with that, okay? And I said, and if you if you bow your head on Rosh Hashanah, I do the same because God is present there for you and therefore for me in a different way. So, but when I'm saying this Psalm or I'm doing this reading, I might see it a little bit differently than you do. I might see it as much more universal and you may see it more particular, but yes, I am praying with you. And I thought that was a very interesting question that that young man asked. It's a very asked. insightful, insightful, very and insightful. So I said to him, uh, Rabbi Rosenthal, who I speak to every Friday for Shabbat, asked me, so what is your, when you go to a, a liturgy on Shabbat or, or, or on uh, a holiday, what do you see? I said, well, since you asked, I will tell you. I said, do you see what you do when you take, well, it's mostly a, 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 a word service. When I said, well, do you see when you call someone up to the Bima for an Aliyah and the uh, person reads? I said, they do something very interesting when it's all over. They show everyone what was read. And then it's rolled up. And then you make a procession around the synagogue. And people actually either kiss the, the, the scroll or it's, in, it's encased or they touch their prayer book to the scroll. I said, why do you do that? And he said, because it's the word of God. I said, right. 
And when you're doing that, I'm saying, isn't it wonderful these people love Jesus? Because for us, the word, this word that you are honoring becomes human in the person of, of Jesus. Right. I said, so it's, I said, and when I see that little lamp that you have burning over the ark, it tells me that the scrolls are there. I said, oh my goodness. When I walk into church, I see my sanctuary lamp and I know that the sacrament is here, you know, keeping right. a vigil here. Right. Right. So I said, there are great similarities. And I said, and it comes to the point of believing that God is. Uh, so I said, I, I think we are two children of God. There is the elder son and the uh, and the younger son is, is what this is. Right. Uh, and I said, the more we talk, the more we can understand that we are not in competition, nor do I want to convert you. OK, but it's important that we see we don't we, we see we validate each other. You know what, Monsignor, it, it, it's it, your love of history gives us a lesson as as listeners, right? Myself and all the all who may be listening to us through the podcast. And that is the more you are familiar with the history of the church, right. the deeper your appreciation is of who we are. And I'll give you a perfect example. I believe it was Marcion who was the heretic who believed that the Old Testament should be discarded. And that right. it was only the New Testament. And the intuition at the very beginning was, no, you could not do that. Right. Right. For all the reasons you've articulated, which I think you've done a, a tremendous job, but the average person may pick up their Bible and see, you know, on one side, there is the Jewish scriptures, right? Sometimes called the Old Testament. And then our scriptures and uh, the New Testament, but would never give a sense of what the deep connection is there. But we intuited that 1800, almost 1900 years ago as a yes, church. Yes, it's very true. You know, one of the things uh, with the, the question of the resurrection, mm -hmm. when Paul says to Timothy, you know the scriptures, Paul is really referring to what we would call the Old Testament because they don't have the gospels and Paul's letters aren't being read. But isn't it interesting that something happened in the resurrection, that would allow these Christians to reread these Jewish Christians to reread their ancient text in a different way. Right. And that is certainly a proof that there was something tremendous that happened in the person of Christ that cannot right. necessarily be dismissed. So if we look at these, these uh, sacred texts and we see, let's say, the story of Joseph. Well, the story of Joseph is a great story. I love it. I think it's great to know how he's known and, you know, he's sold into, in, into to the Ishmaelites and things like this. Well, now, if you read that in light of Christ, you could see a great similarity here without necessarily transposing it. It's there. It's a very interesting story of a, of a, of a, a young man who is who is who is sold in by his family to, to to the Ishmaelites? He goes to a foreign land. His family doesn't necessarily recognize him when they come for the grain, and slowly he reveals himself. Isn't that interesting? That Christianity finds itself in a foreign land among the Gentiles, and that you know, in the story of the resurrection, the apostles don't necessarily recognize Jesus at first, and it becomes a gradual revelation, and they survive because of the grain that, that Joseph gives them. You look at the stories of, um, you look at those stories, you know, and you see, a, a, you see a connection. You look at the suffering servant. Of course, this is the story of Israel. Israel is that suffering servant. I got that. But when you see it in light of what happened in the resurrection, then you could look at this and say, yes, that this Jesus becomes the incarnate history of these people. And it's a very different perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. And then it points out that idea of, you know, that the resurrection certainly must have been and still is a big explosion in God's revelation to us. Right. Right. You know, this has been a fascinating conversation, I must tell you. You and I have always we've spoken about this for years, but I'm delighted that you've been able to come and share some of the insights. And maybe when time permits, you'll come back because this is a topic that d demands even greater 
yeah. uh, exploration. No, it would be good. Maybe we can get Gil Rosenthal or one of the rabbinical people up. Oh, it'd be great. That would be tremendous, Monsignor, if we could get some of the rabbis to come and join us. What a tremendous conversation that would be. This could almost even be a series, Excellency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let, let's take one quick break here. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Monsignor Guy Massey and His Excellency have been talking about God's covenant and the relationship between the Catholic and Jewish faiths. And we'll be right back after the break so Bishop Frank can answer a listener question. Hi, this is Steve Lee. Merry Christmas from me and the Veritas team. Thanks for listening to Catholic Radio. You know, you are making a choice to turn away from the noise that's out there in media and society you're making a choice to come here and be fed. And Veritas is here for you, available anytime during your busy, crazy, hectic days. We're here to remind you that Jesus Christ became man to rescue you from slavery to sin because he loves you and your life has purpose and suffering is not meaningless. And you can find peace a peace that the world can't give. It's there in the manger in Bethlehem. It's there in the confessional. And it's there in a real and physical and incredible way in the Eucharist. Catholic Radio is here every day to remind you of all of that with authentic Catholic teaching and uplifting conversations 24 hours a day, available right at your fingertips. Please consider making a year-end Christmas gift to Veritas. Go to VeritasCatholic.com to keep this message going out to everyone in our listening area. You brought Veritas here. It was your support for your Catholic station that got us on 1350 AM, that got us on 103.9 FM, and that has us on thousands of mobile phones with our app. You helped launch five original shows in addition to the fantastic EWTM programming we're broadcasting. You helped build an incredibly powerful tool for evangelization that will be here for generations and will touch millions of souls. It was your support that made this happen. <laughs> and wait till you see what's coming in 2022. We have more original shows on the way. We're going to be out there physically in the community, working with Catholic schools and parishes, partnering with other nonprofit organizations to impact the community and to help folks who need it broadcasting live from all sorts of events in the area. We're going to organize and host events and conferences and, by God's grace, pilgrimages. I mean, there's a lot more coming from Veritas this year. It's exciting, and you can be a part of this phenomenal growth. In fact, we need you to be a part of the growth. This is your station. This is your network, and it just can't exist without your help. If you can give $15 a month, or $30 a month, or more, or less. Every gift makes a difference. And anything you can do to participate helps Veritas keep going strong. Please visit veritascatholic.com to make your year-end Christmas gift today. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we've come to the point uh, uh, where we answer a listener question. This one, because we didn't have a show last week, uh, I, I decided we could still do it this week. And the question came in, Excellency, what is, I guess was now, what is your biggest wish this Christmas, Bishop Frank? Um, it's two. Can I answer two? two? It's two. Yeah. Two for one. Two, two for one. <laughs> two for one. The first is... I think um, 
if it be the, the will of, of God, that this pandemic will recede with the terrible suffering it's causing. That would be one. And the second is that the church grow in greater unity. Since that deeply troubles me for all the reasons that we've been talking about now, even with our Jewish sisters and brothers, the experience they had in their history, it is absolutely essential that the community remain united, even when there are disagreements. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I think that, so that's my prayer. Those are my two. So I, I'll slip in two for the price of one. Okay. And the third wouldn't be a Porsche, would it? <laughs> no, 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 no. An effective diet actually would be the third. That's another story. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Monsignor Guy Massey, thank you so much for the very good work that you do to educate to form right relations between Catholics and our older brothers in the faith and for being here on the show with us today. Well, thank you. This is fun. Thank yeah. you. Guy, thanks. It was great to be with you. Merry and hopefully, Christmas, Frank. Yeah, now hopefully I'll see you between uh, in the next couple of days. Before I be a Christmas or when Jesus comes? No, no, it's a, you know, really don't be so smart. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's pray. I, let me, let I, me yes. pray. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time where we have shared faith, lifted our minds and hearts, deepened our hope in the, in the great gift of your word, your word who took flesh in Bethlehem. May the year that is coming, the new year that will begin in a few days, may it be a time of healing, may it be a time of grace and peace for us all. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Happy New Year, my friends. Happy, Happy New, New Year to you all.